no comment on my mask virtually. I wore it special for you. You know, some people you just want to wear a mask even if you're only seeing them over a Zoom feed. I uh I honestly I like noticed it and I thought, well that's interesting. And then I was like, you know what, why why even bother? This is just this is just uh the world right now, I guess. And uh and I was curious to see how your voice would sound on the recording with the mask on it, and it actually sounded fine, so I've learned to project. <laughs> Hey, good morning, everyone. I am Ryan Wolt, and welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals and entrepreneurship and coffee education. This is the first Coffee Smarter session of the season, and my personal coffee sensei, Chris O'Brien, the founder of Coffee Cycle Roasting, is back. He'll be covering the first half of the season for us, and during that time, we'll get all coffee sciencey, delve into some coffee theory and coffee trends and even dive deep into how to develop flavors on the roasting side. This episode is heavy on the science as we talk about what the F a refractometer is and why someone might use it in regards to coffee. I'm going to tell you up front that I really struggle with coffee science. I struggle with science in general, and as such, I have to learn and relearn and relearn again a lot of those aspects that help create a better understanding of coffee. It's one of the reasons I love doing these shows with Chris and with Siri Simran Khalsa of Lofty Coffee and the other guest experts because not only did they teach me and you, but they somehow managed to break down complex ideas into bite-sized pieces that are much easier to understand. I got lost for moments at a time during this chat with Chris, but he always brought it around to a point that made sense, even to me. I'm assuming that you're here right after listening to the Season 4 feature interview with Danny Riggins of Altrea Coffee and Tea in San Diego. If not, be sure not to miss that, because it was a really great first episode of the season. Danny was honest and vulnerable in a way that I think will really set a tone for the rest of the interviews we do this season. You can listen to that episode and all of the Roast West Coast Coffee Smarter and Interview episodes from the beginning on your favorite podcast platform, or just head to roastwestcoast.com to stream the show and read the newsletter. Now, fill your mug, or refill your mug, pull a shot of espresso, and turn on the mood lighting, because it is time to get coffee smarter on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. It's one of those things where, like, if you can't laugh about this now, like, yeah. we're never going to laugh about it, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I went to uh, I went to a local coffee shop this morning to get this coffee I'm drinking right now, uh, which is lovely. And I was actually really, really surprised. Like, I had been there recently where there wasn't a lot of mask wearing going on by customers. Uh, but today, almost everybody was, except for one guy who didn't have his mask on. And then as he would like move around, say, to go pick up his coffee or look at something on a shelf, he would take a mask that he had in his hand and like hold it up in front of his face. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you're doing something here like to prove a point or I don't even know what you're doing, but it'd be a lot easier just to put it on like for the five seconds right. you're in the store. It was entertaining for me. Uh, I, I feel very strongly and fairly confident that uh, my N95s are doing their job 
I've uh, trimmed yeah. my beard down enough that I think that they are staying in place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're you're losing a lot of their efficacy. Have you have you seen the <laughs> the CDC approved facial hair? I, I I actually love it. It's very funny. I have seen that, and it's actually why when I am out and about, I do have my N95, and then I actually wear like another mask over the top to like right. hold it in place and make sure it's like solid. And it's a little uncomfortable, but it, it's more effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do what you got to do. Either way, I appreciate that you're back here on the show. I appreciate that you're back to help us get coffee smarter, Chris. It's season four. We're, this is episode 61, give or take. I didn't really count. And you've been on like a bunch of them because you're the smartest coffee person that's willing to talk to me, you know, every week. Wait, we, we've started a podcast. I thought I thought we were just talking and hanging out. I didn't know this was. Did you get my permission to release this? Oh crap! Uh, but no. Oh, so we've started today. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, f- for for the record, yeah, we're on we're on air right now, and he did know that we were doing this state of California because it is illegal to record someone without their permission here. All right. Well, I guess I guess clicking the link probably was uh, was subconscious uh, or you know <laughs> nonverbal acceptance of. Uh... Yes, I have a bunch of questions for you uh, this season. As always, I send you sent you a list of possible questions to cover, giving you like twelve minutes to think about them before we talk. Uh, so you generally go into these pretty cold, which is why I I think they're so much fun. <laughs> Um, but I want to make sure that we're checking in on you and coffee cycle. You are what, six, seven months into coffee cycle roasting, you know, how have things been going? What have you learned? The last time I checked in with you at the end of last season, people were pretty stoked about what you were doing. Any changes since then? Um, no, everything's been going real well. You know, I've certainly learned a lot of lessons, not just about getting the best out of the coffee but just the whole infrastructure around the coffee roasting side of things, you know, and I have some experience seeing that and being, you know, sort of a ancillary part of that. But yeah, it's been, it's been really, really excellent to learn that and sort of get my fingers into like the meat of the, uh, of the process, but yeah, great feedback on it so far. It's a lot of fun. It's really interesting seeing for me, sort of the logistic challenges in this sort of bridge size between tiny, tiny, tiny little nano roasters and decent sized, you know, successful roasters. And we're kind of this, you know, micro mini size where, and I I guess like the, the easiest example is that, you know, and and not that you really asked for one is, um, you know, you want to buy some green coffee and green coffee usually comes in a 150 pound bag. And you think, well, okay, so if I can afford a 150-pound bag or if my business can afford to sell through a 150-pound bag, cool. But then – and then there are some some importers and, and producers that provide you with smaller amounts, you know, 66 pounds or 50 pounds or whatever. But even if you can afford a 150-pound bag and even if your business can afford it, you kind of need a minimum of three or four bags on a pallet to make the shipping worthwhile. And so suddenly you're talking about 600 pounds of a single coffee. You know, and for like a big core coffee, or if you're making a lot of blends or selling a lot of cold brew or something like that, if you're really doing some volume, that's that's not too bad. But for someone, you know, in this kind of smaller size bracket, it can be it can be a challenge. And so it's been kind of fun to to see other learn other roasters and meet other roasters that are sort of in that same 
bracket and then how they can team up or work, you know, together to kind of, uh, kind of overcome that. So yeah, it's been fun. That feels like a very good example of why a small coffee roaster would expand because they're, they, by buying in bulk, they're bringing their prices down, you know, per, per unit essentially. And by expanding into multiple locations, they're then be able to distribute more coffee than they would if they just have the one. It seems like a, a valid reason for a business where you're, you're not big enough yet to really justify all of the purchases, but you are, you're kind of getting in that door and trying to make it work. What's the fastest way to get more coffee out into the world, have more places to distribute? Well, I mean, economies of scale is obviously, you know, at play there. Um, but, uh, I mean, as someone who's been encouraging me to expand my business a fair amount recently, I can't help but uh, hear a little bit of maybe maybe intentional uh, pushing there. Pushing, pushing. <laughs> no, that was not intentional to push you into doing that. I just think it's a, it's a reasonable thought to say, well, if we're spending this much money and we can and we need to buy more product, we need to find out where we're going to put with that. And I think you brought up kind of a you brought up the shipping part of it and obviously there's nobody that isn't aware of shipping logistic issues in the world right now but it's like a good reminder like you're not just buying this off of amazon there's not like free next day shipping like this is coffee that's being traveling around the world in some cases and is on boats and being handled by multiple people in order to get to your shop and so there's this this calendar this schedule that you're following that at least for right now may not be as efficient as it normally is. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously overseas international trade logistics are crazy right now. And I'm just finding that in all kinds of different areas. Uh, but uh, yeah, you just you just adapt and move on. And uh, what else can you do? I mean, that's, that's always been the case with business. And just because the world is a little, you know, extra crazier in certain ways these days doesn't mean that we can't can't find a way around it and find a way to, to move, move forward. Well, I think that that's a good turning point to start asking you some coffee questions. This comes up in shows all the time. And I think it came up in our show with you. And I know that when I've been in your shop, there've been people talking about it. I want to know what, what the heck a refractometer is <laughs> and how does it help specifically make better coffee or measure coffee. Um, I did Google it and read that it is a tool designed to measure light refraction through liquids, but I don't understand where you go from there. What does that even mean? And why do we care about that when it comes to a cup of coffee? So I'm wondering if you can kind of help guide us through that. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, light refracting through a liquid is the, the base of it. And one of the interesting things about a refractometer in general is that it's been in use in a lot of industries for a pretty long time, um, especially the beer and wine industry, the, the liquor industries, um, for sure. And a refractometer shines the light through a sample of liquid to give you some information about what's in that liquid. And that information can allow us to do some data-driven things with it. So basically, when we're extracting coffee, when we're and, and a refractometer is used, there are different types of refractometer, and a refractometer is used both at the farm level and at the cafe level. And in coffee, the really cool thing 
is that we didn't have a refractometer for use in, at the cafe level until maybe 15 years ago or so. Um, sometime in the mid or early 2000s that VST, a company that makes scientific devices, uh, came up with the coffee refractometer that was affordable for use at the cafe level. And, and at the time, I think it was something like $1,000. So affordable is, is a relative term. You know, the refractometer that we use in our shop costs a little over $300. Um, it's not by VST. It's, it's a different brand, but it's still excellent. And VST is generally considered the, the leader for the cafe level refractometer. But the light is refracting and off of different compounds and molecules inside the liquid. And so your refractometer can be calibrated to give you different information. The refractometer that we use in the shop gives us two different numbers. It gives us a number called BRICS, and it gives us a number of TDS. And TDS stands for Total Dissolved Solids. And BRICS is a rough estimate on how much sugar is in the liquid. Um, because BRICS is a measurement of how much the light is refracting off of sucrose and sucrose-like molecules. And so that BRICS number is really used very commonly at the farm level. In wine, it's used to measure how ripe the grapes are. And so with coffee, it can be used to measure how ripe the coffee cherries are. Just to clarify there, when you, you're saying it like a grape or a cherry, they're using it to see how much sugar is in there so that assuming there's more sugar, it's going to be a riper fruit. Right, right. So... You know, with coffee extraction, sort of similar to fruit ripening, you know, you kind of want to get all this good stuff and then no bad stuff. If I leave fruit on my countertop or my kitchen table ripening for too long, it's going to rot and mold. There's going to be bad things. So if I take like a banana and it's all green and I let it sit there and ripen on my countertop, it gets little like brown spots on it. And the brown spottier bananas are sweeter than the green bananas because sugars have sort of developed uh, as it's been ripening. Bricks can give you an actual number for how many sugars have developed. And obviously, if you let it overripen, other things happen. Usually, you're going to have microbial activity going on, rotting and, uh, and so on and so forth. But the other number that we're looking at at the cafe level is total dissolved solids. And so... You know, when you take your ground dry coffee grounds and you add them to water, well, at the end, the water has become brown and is no longer clear. And that's because some of those dry brown coffee grounds are now integrated with the water and have become the liquid beverage that we know as coffee. That means that if we were to take those now wet used grounds and we were to dry them back out to the moisture level that they started at, you know, pretty dry, that we would actually have less coffee grounds there than when we started because some of that coffee grounds has actually dissolved and made its way into our liquid beverage, right? That just that just blew my mind. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> the idea that the amount I I think I knew that, and like when I look when I throw grinds away or recycle them or you know put them in with the plants, yeah. I I think I knew that. Like part of me knew that like there wasn't as much there as when I started, but hearing you say it out loud kind of just 
exploded something in my brain. Right. And it's sort of like kind of tricky to, to grasp it, you know, at this kind of visceral level that you're talking about now, because those grounds do retain a lot of water. They're not dry when you throw them in your compost or in your trash or whatever. They're still wet. And those grounds are going to retain somewhere between two and three times their starting weight in water. So if you start with 20 grams of dry coffee grounds, you brew up your cup of coffee, those, those wet coffee grounds at the end are going to weigh something like 60 plus grams because 40 plus grams is going to be water and a little less than 20 grams is going to be what your dry coffee grounds would have been. But it's not 20 grams anymore because some of it has found its way into your liquid coffee beverage. This TDS number that we're talking about, this total dissolved solids, is a way of figuring out exactly how much of those grounds have made their way into your liquid beverage. But we're not putting our whole cup of coffee into the refractometer. We're only putting a small sample of it in there. And so that TDS number is actually a percentage of the liquid that is dissolved solids. So a number you might get in a brewed cup of coffee would be like a 1.3% TDS. And so that means that 98 point whatever percent of your brewed coffee is still water that's most of a cup of coffee is water but that small one percent was at one point dry coffee grounds and is now part of your liquid coffee beverage and so if you take that percentage of the liquid that is was once solid total dissolved solids and you kind of work some math on it with the ratio of the the liquid beverage that has come out and the dry coffee grounds that went in you can get this number that we refer to a lot in coffee extraction, and it's the extraction percentage. What percentage of our dry coffee grounds is gone and has manifested itself into this liquid coffee beverage instead? And generally what we're looking for is 18 to 22% in our, in our brewed coffee or, uh, or in our espresso. We want about 20% of those coffee grounds to no longer be in what you throw in the compost, but now to become a part of your, of your drink. And so in some of our other episodes, we talked about how coffee gets extracted. And since I'm now teaching this intro coffee 101 class, and I go over these, you know, principles of coffee extraction that I sort of came up with or extrapolated from a bunch of other things. I don't know exactly what we talked about on the show here and what I talk about in that class, but you know, basically we have these very easy to extract compounds, acids, salts, caffeine, that sort of thing. And then we have, you know, these bigger, heavier, complex molecules, sucrose, fructose, these sugars. And we want to extract all the easy stuff. We want to extract all the way up until the point we get the sugars. And then we kind of want to stop and we don't want to continue extracting. Using this refractometer device, we can get a hard number for how much of our coffee has been extracted and we can have an idea of, did I extract too much? Did I not extract enough? And sneak peek, most of the time, especially with lighter roasted coffees, we're not extracting enough. Usually we want to extract more. We're always trying to extract more. It is possible to extract too much. Uh, if you've sat and forgot your French press sitting on the counter, you've probably done something where you've extracted too much and been like, well, I wish I hadn't done that, but I'll still drink this cup of coffee today because I need to wake up. But the refractometer gives us hard data, hard information that says this is good and this isn't good. And it's not, it's not everything. 
All right, you can start with having that data, but at the end of the day, what you like and how you like the taste of it always matters. And so some people like under-extracted or over-extracted, you know, um, to a certain degree, but at least it gives us some kind of hard data points to work off of. And when we're talking about that part of it, is this something you're doing as a roaster as you're testing out roasts to see if you've roasted it properly or is it something you're doing after the brewing process in the shop and an extension of that question would be is this something that is that a normal like an at-home coffee person might do on a regular basis just for themselves if you're at home you have to be really into this this next level of coffee uh coffee nerdism i guess you could put it I do have a, a customer who's, you know, a friend who does use a refractometer at home. Actually, no, two or three that I know. But they're, I tend to know some pretty uh, esoterically inclined uh, coffee people. Uh, and uh, so I know some folk that have really, really gone down the rabbit hole with coffee science because they find it interesting and they're passionate about it and they have the resources to dedicate to that. For, you know, most, most, most home coffee people, no, I would not recommend you need that. But as far as do we use it to control the roasting aspect or do we do it just to control the brewing aspect, it generally falls on the brewing aspect. So, you know, if the roastery is providing a product, then the cafe part of the business needs to make sure that they're presenting the product appropriately. That being said, and that, that, that being established that the refractometer is mainly used to ensure that the quality control of showcasing the roastery's product is done well, it can give some valuable data back to the roasting side of things. And that is in the aspect of determining solubility. So some coffees extract easier than others. There's some noted origins that tend to have higher solubility. Sumatra coffees, Brazil coffees tend to extract fairly easily comparatively, and some do not. And so if I have all the same extraction numbers as far as brew time, grind setting, and ratio, and temperature, and if one coffee extracts at a higher percentage than another, I can infer that that coffee is more soluble, is more easily extracted than the other. That can be useful for determining sort of cutoff points for what is servable and what isn't servable. So, you know, we do a lot of pour overs in my shop. So our Sumatra coffee tends to be very soluble. We tend to extract it all the way at, you know, 21 plus percent often. I really enjoy that coffee at 18 to 20% extraction. And generally for us, we're pretty comfortable serving in a range of ideal extraction and not saying that every cup is as perfect as it needs to be because a professional taster might say that this particular coffee is best at 20% every time with this ratio. For us, we say, hey, look, most people don't have the palate to determine those incredibly subtle differences, but we know between 18 and 22, this coffee is, is quite good. So if the Sumatra starts draining down very quickly and not having as much contact time with the coffee, well, that's okay because I know that even if it extracts faster or the brew time is faster than the other coffees that we're serving, 
it's still going to cross that 18% threshold because it's a very soluble coffee. So that can give good data back to the roastery to say, oh, well, this coffee might do better at a slightly different roast, but that's not usually the way that we're, we're using it. Usually when we, we find out the different solubilities of coffee, it's most useful for determining whether we're going to blend that coffee. Because while we love to celebrate single origins and the origins of the farm and the variety and the processing, it can be nice to blend coffees. It can be nice to blend them to provide a cup that has either deliberate tasting notes or a specific balance of tasting notes that can't be found in your current offerings of single origins. But if you're blending a very insoluble coffee with a very highly soluble coffee, then you're going to either under extract the element of the coffee that is insoluble and properly extract the one that is very soluble, or you're going to over extract the one that is very soluble and properly extract the one that is insoluble. Or you're going to make a mix of both of them and you're going to over extract one and under extract the other. So this really comes into play mostly with espresso blends. And since we focus on doing single origin espressos and single origin pour overs, it's not really, you know, super relevant for us, but it is data that's nice to have just to say, oh, okay, the Sumatra is draining down a little fast. That's going to be fine today. We can, you know, adjust the grind setting and slow it down. But even if we didn't do that, we know this cup is still very servable. It's still an excellent 19% or 18.5% extraction. It's just every time I talk to you, I'm just overwhelmed by how much science goes into drinking a cup of coffee. <laughs> and for someone like me who is very not sciencey, uh, for the record, I stopped taking science sophomore year of high school. All of this stuff seems so crazy, but then when I'm actually thinking about it, I do a lot of things, you know, when I'm making my coffee that are based in science and I just don't see them that way. And yeah. you being on that side of things, being a roaster and a cafe owner, you see the science of it because it's actually valuable to making a better product. And that's just such a unique kind of cool thing. <laughs> I feel like that's as much coffee smartening, smartening, smart, smartering, coffee, smartering. Getting coffee smarter that I can handle today, Chris. Uh, but before we go, I want to ask you something. I just want to learn a little bit more about you. And I know a lot about you, but I keep <laughs> finding that there's a lot I don't know. So why am I worried right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I want people to know you. You're on this show a lot. Uh, we learned a lot about you at the end of last season, but uh, about your journey in coffee. But I'm wondering about you and your personal life. You're an avid cyclist. Uh, daily commuter type of cyclist. You love coffee. What else are you doing for fun out in the world uh, when you're not doing those two things, which I know is like 97.5% of your time? <laughs> well, um, I did go to the zoo yesterday, which was a ton of fun. But I'd say my 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 number one leisure activity outside of cycling and coffee, which is you know already established, is I love to read. And I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy. And that's been kind of my go-to hobby ever since I was a kid. And I just I just love to just get lost in a, in a book. It doesn't have to be a book about making yourself better. I like, you know, wizards and dragons and lasers in space. But uh, yeah, I love to just get lost in a book. And, and, you know, a book and a cup of coffee is one of my favorite favorite uh, ways to start a day or to, you know, have, have a nice relaxing time. And yeah, that's, that's kind of my go-to. I feel like you 
are the type of person who would read a science fiction book and then watch the movie that was made based on that science fiction book kind of with the sole purpose of judging that film based on what you read in the book. You know, it does happen a little bit. Um, <laughs> I will say that, uh, you know, recently, at least there was, there was one fantasy thing that I was watching that, uh, that I thought was better than the book. So, you know, that, that critical, critical aspect can actually flip around. And that's something that, you know, any book readers out there don't hate me for saying that. All right. I like to think that it's possible and I do think it did happen once, but I don't want to mention the specific uh, one in case I get specific backlash. <laughs> if um, I get, if I guess it, will you tell me if I'm right? I don't know if we have time for you to go through all that. <laughs> I, just, I have <laughs> one guess. I'll just make one guess. Yeah. Uh, and my guess is The Expanse. Uh, no, I actually really enjoyed those books. Um, and the, the show I watched a little bit of, but I wasn't crazy about, it wasn't bad. It was good, but really interesting series because it's, you know, it's not written by an author. It's written by two authors under one pen name. And they both have kind of some experience in writing with the goal of televising. Um, so, you know, there, there, there's certainly an intentionality to their, their, novels that translates very well to to shows so i think that was a good guess but no i, I actually like the books better <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know i'll share the link to those i've actually been reading those as well uh, a friend of mine turned me on to those and they are engrossing but they are frustrating because you'll read for a month and you finish a book and then you're like there's seven more of these like i want to know what happens in the end but it's kind of like life where there's a continuing story and each book leads into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I love that. <laughs> there's a weird, I don't want to say weird. I'm sure it's intentional, but there seems to be a lot of overlap between the politics and economy of our current world, except, you know, in that book, it's in space. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I, I've long thought that that's one, one of the things that really draws me to science fiction and fantasy is, is it's basically, an, an excuse to explore some philosophical questions um, and moral questions. If we have the power to do this, if this thing doesn't matter anymore, if, you know, the world is different in this way, how does our, our innate humanity respond in that situation? And, you know, interesting as coffee is, uh, nothing is more interesting than people. Uh, we are the most complex, weird, <laughs> strange, and unfathomable of anything that you can explore. And so much as I said that I like to read these things because, you know, they don't necessarily make me a better person or, you know, improve my understanding of anything in particular, I do I do love to explore those those moral boundaries and those philosophical questions in novel form. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thank you for being back. Uh, I'm excited to have you back for season four. Thank you again for all of the time and effort you put into this show. I'm going to talk to you again soon and get everyone coffee smartening or. <laughs> it was a treat today, Ryan. Thank you. And uh, appreciate you uh, letting me stumble through some half uh, baked thoughts as I'm finishing my morning coffee here. Somehow Chris turned using refractometers and coffee and a question about what he does in his free time 
into an opportunity to point out the joys found in the complexity of humanity in what feels like a very chaotic moment in the timeline of history. Well done. And I really do feel coffee smarter today. To recap, refractometers are scientific tools designed to measure light refraction through liquids. For coffee in particular, they are often used on the brewing side of an operation to measure two things, TDS, or total dissolved solids, meaning the amount of coffee grounds that have fully dissolved into the water added to the brew, and BRICS, spelled B-R-I-X, which measures sucrose or sugar content. So, okay, now we've learned about refractometers. What does that mean for our daily coffee consumption? For me, not much will change, other than I might appreciate the wonders of what is happening a little bit more while in the moment. So much science goes into a cup of coffee, and since I'm the one making the cup of coffee each day, by extension, I think that makes me a scientist. And it probably makes you a scientist. Hang on, I'm adding that to my resume. And done. Speaking of great podcast transitions, some awesome coffee professionals and fellow scientists support this show. Because of all of you who choose to pay for all of this coffee content, which is amazing by the way, this podcast gets made. You can subscribe to the free newsletter on roastwestcoast.com or choose the paid subscription if you want to help me and our roast industry partners in uplifting local coffee by supporting this coffee content. You are why the show keeps getting bigger and better. Our industry partners can all be found on the website or in this show's notes. Thanks to them, including Ignite Coffee Roasters, who is our newest partner, Cafe La Terre in Solana Beach, where they do Donut Wednesdays, Moster Coffee Company, which inspires with their continued growth and innovation, and Coffee Cycle Roasting. As mentioned on the show, Chris is now hosting Coffee Smarter classes with in-depth introductions to coffee chemistry, the economy of coffee around the world, and coffee flavor profiling. You can find tickets to upcoming small group classes on coffeecycleroasting.com. Also, check out Leap Coffee, who has a new cafe space at Sabre Springs, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Marea Coffee, who offer premium online subscriptions, Steady State Coffee Roasting, who have kindly invited me in to explore, as well as inspire with their own attention to detail. And don't forget, Roast West Coast will be at Camp Coffee Company in February, Mark your calendars Saturday morning, February 19th from 9 to noon. I hope you come and join me and let me know why you love coffee. Finally, thank you to Cape Horn Coffee Importers and to First Light Whiskey for being sponsors of this show. Head to roastwestcoast.com for all of those links and check out the other coffee content, including some updates, some coffee news, some coffee education, and please be sending your coffee questions on Instagram at roastwestcoast and I'll ask our coffee experts as many as I can. Chris is going to be back next week to talk about developing flavor profiles during the roasting process. Thank you for listening, everyone. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. Please always tip your baristas, now more than ever, and be sure to drink good coffee.
Hey everyone, if you liked this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast and you want more and more and more coffee content, please consider buying us a cup of coffee or signing up for a paid subscription to the Roast West Coast newsletter. That would be very cool of you. And with enough subscribers, we'd be able to focus on creating coffee content for you all day, every day. Subscriptions are a great way to show appreciation for this show. Just head over to RoastWestCoast.com to subscribe.